بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد جنات عدن يدخلونها ومن صلح من آبائهم وأزواجهم وذرياتهم والملائكة يدخلون عليهم من كل باب سلام عليكم سلام عليكم بما صبرتم فنعم عقب الدار صدق الله العظيم uh, I'm going to be speaking about the abode of the righteous um, the abode of the righteous <coughs> could refer to the abode of the righteous in this world and of course it could also refer to the abode of the righteous in the next world the abode of the righteous in the next world has to be seen with their abode in this world because you can't just have an abode of the righteous in the hereafter without having gone through this world. The reason is, <coughs> what's the name for this world in Arabic? Dunya. Dunya. And the, the other world? Akhirah. Akhira. They're actually very simple Arabic words. Dunya and Akhirah, these are not proper nouns like, like Zaid. Dunya means the close one from Dana Yadnu, something which is close. Akhirah means the thing which comes after. So literally that's what it is. That's why we call it the hereafter. Right? Paradise is more specific, but hereafter is basically just the next world. So dunya is this world which is closer to us and the akhirah. So now, uh, let's get this equation right. For us to <clears throat> to get to the Akhirah, you have to go through the dunya. There's no way to get to the Akhirah without going through the dunya. Right? Everybody agree? Uh, on the other hand though, if your focus is entirely this world, <clears throat> then the Akhirah will not, will not be part of your plan. If your entire focus <clears throat> is the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, dunya, then Akhirah doesn't have to be part of that plan. It's not necessary in, in our plan. Of course, in reality, Akhirah has to come. But in terms of our plan, how much are we planning for? Right. When you make plans, <clears throat> okay, let me buy this car. Right. You say, no, I can't buy that car because it doesn't have this one feature. So while the car has everything else that you want, but because of you have, uh, for example, let's just say that you want to have a nice sporty car and you find a car that has only two doors and it ticks all the boxes, but you're going to get married soon. right? Or you are married, just married. And while you'd like to go with the, 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 the roof open and you know the hair blowing and cruising, <clears throat> you know that you're going to have a child soon and that car is not appropriate for a child because 
you need four doors for, with children. I mean, you, you don't want to have to deal with two doors and children. So just because of that one reason, you're going to have to change your plan. Even though most of what you're looking for is found in this car. But just for one reason, you, you can't have it. Because you're thinking prudently. If somebody's focus is the hereafter, then inshallah they will live in this world, they will do everything in this world, but every decision they take will have also the akhirah figured into it. I really want to do this. And it seems to tick all of the boxes, all of your objectives, but no, it's bad for the akhirah, so I can't do it. That's why the belief in the akhirah is so important. Otherwise people become selfish, people become indulgent, they will become decadent. It's the akhirah that keeps us. That's why man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir. Whoever believes in Allah and the last day. Yes, angels, prophets, everything is necessary. But mainly, believe in Allah and the last day. If you believe in the last day, mashallah. The stronger, the, the stronger we make our belief in the last day, the more cautious and careful we will be in this world. Because the last day is... Ooh, it, not only does it make you careful, it actually gives you satisfaction, it removes depression. Because imagine if there's a person who's oppressed in this world. He sees no way to gain justice because everything is against him. Authorities, everybody. In a corrupt society, that's what happens sometimes. You know, some other society, alhamdulillah, generally in the West, we have a, some sense of justice. You know, there's some sense of justice. There's full justice is only in the akhirah. But there are countries where even for your own right, you have to pay. You have to pay bribery and even then you're not sure. And so a person who's in that state, who has been oppressed, who has been wronged, what can he expect? He's going to be very depressed. But if he believes in the hereafter, at least he will know that there's a Yawmuddin. There is a day when everything will be set aright. And there, nobody will have contacts with anybody. It's only with Allah. Except the one who comes with a sound heart. So, <clears throat> Ibn Ata'illah rahimahullah, he says in his hikam, إِنَّمَا جَعَلَ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ مَحَلًّا لِجَزَاءِ عِبَادِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ الدَّارَ لَا تَسَعُ مَا يُرِيدُ أَنْ يُعْطِيَهُمْ وَلِأَنَّهُ أَجَلَّ أَقْدَارَهُمْ عَنْ أَنْ يُجَازِيَهُمْ فِي دَارٍ لَا بَقَاءَ لَهَا It's actually very insightful. He says that Allah made the hereafter an abode to reward his believing servants only because this world couldn't contain what he wished to bestow upon them and because he deemed their worth too high to reward them in a world without permanence. This is telling us two of the benefits of having a separate abode as paradise and of course then hellfire as well. This world is too limited. Now, has any of you got a job, re new job recently or a promotion recently? Anybody? Yeah. How long did the excitement of it last for? Right. <laughs> That's very depressing. <laughs> Generally, when you're looking for something, like for example, when you're doing exams at university and then you get your grades, you get very excited. But how long do you stay excited for? Okay, if you had all A's, how long are you going to be, how long are those A grades going to excite you for? A few weeks? A few months? Maybe a few days? Not for years. You can't say after 50 years, I got A's. <laughs> right? That's just like, okay, what's next? So anything in this world, 
anything in this world. You get a new phone and you're very excited about it, right? iPhone 11. You're very excited. Anybody got an iPhone 11 yet? No? You guys still on 10? You guys are still behind, you guys. What's going on? So it's still Ericsson time here. Right. No, I'm just joking. Um, I don't like iPhones anyway, but uh, the, the point is that you get a new iPhone, a new phone. I mean, I don't know if anybody still gets excited about phones because I think that whole f factor probably on iPhone 5 or 6 was probably gone, finished. After that, it's nothing great. But anyway, you get an excitement. After a few days, few months, you're not excited anymore. To get more excited, you need a new cover, right? So that you spend money to get more excited. That's the world. You have to keep spending, you have to keep doing to achieve new milestones, new ways of excitement. Because excitement doesn't last in this world. Let's just say, right now, I'm assuming everybody's hungry. Right? We should be. Uh, that's, it's fine to be hungry when you're fasting. Because when you have that hunger and you feel, I'm doing this for the sake of Allah, you're rewarded. Right? So feel hungry and then feel that, Alhamdulillah, I'm doing this for Allah, do the sabr and you get rewarded. So there's nothing wrong with feeling that. Iftar time, you're going to be waiting for the food. And has anybody been shopping when they are fasting? It's the worst time to go shopping. Right? Um, but now come iftar time and you've had your food and then somebody gives you two other dishes on top, you're going to say, no, I don't want any more. Excitement's gone. Right? Excitement is gone. That's everything in this world. You do it for a short amount of time. That's why they say that Allahu Akbar. <clears throat> there are the sins are such that you do them for the moment of excitement. They, they're only exciting for the moment that you're doing them and then after that you feel guilty. And then the punishment of them could be for very long. Whereas when you do good, it's tough. You do salat, you have to wake up for fajr, you have to fast. These things are difficult. So there's difficulty for that moment, but inshallah, the rewards of them are forever afterwards. It's like if you're indulging yourself in a nice chocolate cheese cake or something, you get really excited when you're eating it. By the end of it, you're tired of it. And then after that, you feel guilty. And then you have to then suffer all of the harms that the sugar has brought you. I do this all the time, so I know Allah Ta'ala protects us. On the other hand, you take a run, a jog, for half an hour, 45 minutes, or on the treadmill or whatever. You do some exercise, you do some biking, whatever. It sounds tough, it takes the wind out of you, you sweat and everything, but you feel so much better afterwards and the benefits of that are lasting. Same as reward and that's the same thing. Take this whole thing and talk about the paradise. What Ibn Atta'illah is saying here is that this world would have been too limited both quantitatively and qualitatively for Allah to reward us here with the proper reward He wants to give us. He rewards us here as well. You do good deeds, you get rewarded in the world as well, right? But the real reward He made a special abode for it called paradise. Where, because this world, number one, it's temporary. So everything ends, everything gets old. Everything departs, everything gets destroyed. Number two, that, that's from a quantity perspective. From a quality perspective, nothing in this world, uh, every, after, as, as I just explained, everything becomes diminished afterwards. 
You get an award, you need another one. Right? You win something, you need to do a winning again. Doesn't matter how much. You always want more. You always want more. That's just the nature of our, our human beings. If we can understand that it makes life easy, then we stop running after things. When we start understanding that, that this is just a, a chemical endorphins in the brain that is making us do this. Right? So, Allah created the hereafter in which He created paradise. And when you start listening to the descriptions of paradise, you'll understand what I mean. Quantitatively, from a qualitatively, from a quality perspective, this world is nothing compared to the hereafter. It's absolutely nothing compared to I just give you one example. Allah says in the Quran, Wa utubiha mutashabiha. Fruits. Somebody's gonna see a fruit that he was given yesterday, that he had yesterday, maybe an apple, maybe a mango, right? And he's gonna say, This was given to us before. But when he starts tasting it, they say every single bite you take of that is going to be a different flavor, a different taste and a different experience. When you eat different fruits, there's a different flavor, there's a different color, there's a different description. It's amazing. Every fruit is so well constructed. But the experience you get from eating certain fruits, right? When you have the same fruit, you eventually, you got watermelon, for example, you have so much of it, you don't want any more. But in paradise, you can have the same fruit because every single bite, every single taste will be different. I mean, this world is too limited to be able to produce those flavors. You know, people who study color, they'll tell you that, you know, most color is made up of, you know, on, on your normal screen, it's made up of what? RGB, red, green and black. Okay, printing, CMYK, right, cyan, magenta, and so on, right? But in paradise, there's no limit to colors, flavors, tastes, combinations. That's the amazing thing that I'm finding. Because uh, one of the most comprehensive books written on paradise is by a scholar called Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziya, rahimahullah, called Hadil arwah ila bilad al-Afrah. Which is basically to, to drive the souls to this abode. It's actually called Hadil Arwa, to drive the souls to the abode of pleasures and joys. So, how many lectures have you gone now? So, we covered that most of that book because there's some repetition, and we covered most of that book, the substance of it, in about 30 lectures. So, we can't condense that here uh, in one lecture. I'm going to mention some main points about paradise, then I want you to ask me questions about maybe things that you've already wondered about paradise. Because I had a lot of questions about paradise before I read that book. So, Alhamdulillah, most of my questions have been answered. I've still got some because there's some things that you can never understand. But I'm going to leave that to you. So if you've got any questions about paradise, our brothers and sisters, then feel free to ask them afterwards. I'm just going to give a general highlight here in this talk first. So firstly, it's a special abode that Allah has created, which has the scope and the ability and the bandwidth to be able to hold what Allah wants to give us because it has, it's, uh, it, it, there's no restriction there. And number two, anybody who goes to paradise will be in there forever. Because there's no way you can get into paradise, you can break into paradise or get in there by mistake. If you're in paradise, khalas, you will be in there forever. We ask Allah 
that we're sitting here, this topic was chosen for whatever reason, Allah put it into somebody's heart. Who chose this topic? Okay, may Allah bless her with rahmah, right? So, there's a reason we choose this topic. It shows our belief about it, it shows our longing. So today what I want to do is I want to give you a bit of a brochure about paradise. Because have you noticed that um, if you want to move into a new area, or you want to buy a new car, then you do a lot of reviews, you check reviews, you check the specs, you ask people and everything like that. Every Muslim knows they're going to go to paradise but when was the last time that you went to check for reviews about paradise? Or not reviews, you're not going to get any reviews. I mean, you'll get a review because the Prophet ﷺ was taken on a tour of paradise. So that's the only review I think you'll get. And the other review is by Jibreel ﷺ. He's done a review as well. Right? He's given it 10 out of 10. But uh, his review was that, Ya Allah, who's going to go in here because you veiled it all with difficulties? And Hellfire, he did a review of Hellfire. He said that uh, Hellfire is re uh, veiled and the cover of it is all um, all the attractions and lusts and desires so who's going to go to paradise everyone's going to go into hellfire so that's the review you got that's a very depressing review to be honest right um, but when it comes to the prophet's review that's amazing right amazing he's given several reviews at different times and that's what that book fully covers all the reviews whenever you want to go somewhere you want to have a review right don't be like that person from a third world country who wants to just get to Sweden. Right? So I, say, I just want to go to Sweden. Where in Sweden? I don't care. Anywhere in Sweden. I just want to get out of this place. Right? Now, for him, just Sweden, that's it. He doesn't understand there's different areas in Sweden. Some areas are better than others, I'm assuming. Right? Um, so, with paradise, most Muslims, we say, okay, paradise, paradise, Allah will forgive us, paradise. There's no focused attention on finding out what paradise is about and we want to get there. That, that's, that's what I'm trying to bring here. So anyway, uh, Ibn Atayla's conclusion is that this world would be too limited. It'd be too limited. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually uses the word قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّى that successful is the one who's purified himself. Now, the word falah is not normal success. Because in Arabic, you have the word fawz, faza yafuz, which means to win something. Then you have najah, najah yanjahu, means to win something, to succeed. But falah is a very deep word. It means more than winning. It means a winning after which there's no failure. It means a a closeness after which there's no distance. That's the true winning. That's the winning of paradise. They're very focused on their prayers and they're totally ignorant and uh, abstinent of anything that detracts them. Today, unfortunately, our state is the opposite, right? I mean, I'm talking about myself. Because we're, we could stay on our phones or iPads for hours on end and then know that we've wasted our time. So we're distracted on wasting time on YouTube. And when it comes to Salat, we just do a quick Salat. It's the opposite. Allah help us. Because if it doesn't help us, I don't know where we're going to go. Right? Okay, now another thing. In this world, we are. what's our relationship to Allah in this world? Who are we to Allah? Slaves, khalas. We are ibadullah in this world. 
And when you're a slave to someone, what are you supposed to do? You have no rights. Slaves have no rights, right? technically. I mean, you do have rights in the sense in a just system, you will have rights. And with Allah, you got rights because Allah is just. And He doesn't oppress anybody. But in the sense that we have to worship Him. He tells us what to do. And He wants us to worship Him and He wants us obedience from us. That's because we are slaves here. In the Akhirah, what's going to happen? In Jannah, in fact, what's going to be our relationship to Allah? Well, we're always going to be slaves, but there's a, something we get in Paradise. Guests. In Jannah, we're no longer slaves of Allah in the way we are in this world. We are guests of Allah. You don't have, there's no obligations in Paradise. Go and do Salat, go and do this, do, do this. You enjoy, that's it, you are guests. And you know, the more generous and high level person you're a guest of, the more indulgence they give you. Because they have more scope. Guest of a poor person is going to give you a few things, may Allah bless him. Right? Somebody more, they're going to have much more catering for you. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're going to be his guest. And you know what? If you are going to have an honorable guest, how long do you prepare for it? You know, one of the worst things you can do is have a long engagement. You know, if you get engaged and your marriage is after two weeks, or if your marriage is after six months, every single week until then becomes a shopping week, a planning week. So then you have to do shopping every week. You have to prepare for it. It's on your head. Now, if I told you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been preparing paradise from the time that He created it, every single day He embellishes it. Allah says, and this is our belief, that paradise and hellfire have already been created. They're not something that's going to be created later. They've already been created. And what's mentioned is that Allah yuzayyinu jannatahu. It's in some hadith that He adorns paradise every day for the people to come. Now, where's that going to get to? I mean, Allah adorning something and then doing it every day. I mean, that's mind-boggling. That's inconceivable for human beings. Because we have a limit of how far you can go in design. Right? Volvo, whatever you want to say. There's so f they can only go so far in design. If they knew what the design of 20 years is going to be, they would have done it now. They do design for the next 5-10 years and then that car looks old so then they have to do another design. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is designing every day. He's preparing paradise for His servants, for His guests when they come there. Now can you imagine what that's going to be like? That's why it mentions that when a person first enters paradise, he's going to spend so many years just mesmerized by what he sees. Now I could never understand that before. But the way I understood that, what made it easier for me to understand is that in the village from where my parents, my father is from, it's a very small village, poor people generally. Now, alhamdulillah, they're better, but generally poor people. Some of my cousins from the UK went to the village and took one of our extended second, third cousins from there to a resort in India, to a five-star hotel and a, on a flight. This was probably one of the first time that he'd been out of the local area. He'd never seen a big city, he'd seen a local town, never seen a big city, never sat in a plane, never, never seen a five-star hotel. Never mind, I mean, 
uh, a village compared to a five-star hotel, believe me, it's like very different. They took him there. After that, for about two to three days, the guy wasn't even speaking much. He was just bedazzled by what's available out there. He just couldn't take it in. It was such a big deal for him. For us, I mean, you know, we see these things every day. So for us, it's not a big deal. Yeah, some, when, you, when you go into some five-star hotels, it still makes you feel, hey, what, what is this? But generally, we're used to it, right? There was no TV then. You couldn't even do a review. You couldn't see YouTube. There was nothing in those days. He, wasn't, he couldn't speak for a few days. He was just dazzled. This is real, real, real life scenario I'm telling you about in this world. So that's what's going to happen. If Allah has been preparing and where after that we are not his servants there directly, we are now his guests and he is there going to give us whatever he wants, whatever we want. How big is paradise? How big is paradise? Right, that's the entire, you know, part, uh, the, that, that is again, when you say arduha as-samawatu wal-ard, that its extension, its width is like the heavens and the earth, right? When you say that, that is just to give us an understanding by the biggest thing that we know, by the mightiest thing that we know. It's just an example. Otherwise, Allah knows it's true. The reason is that there's a famous hadith, which many of you have probably heard, that the last person out of paradise, this is the person who has been the biggest sinner ever from all of the generations, from this ummah, previous ummah, the person who had la ilaha illallah in his heart, he had belief in his heart, but he never did a, did a good deed. All misdeeds, so he's going to be sent to hellfire to be punished. Everybody else, as soon as they've been purified, they've been taken out, taken out, taken out. This guy is the one who's left. He is like charcoal. He's just, you know, sick and tired. I mean, you'd be sick and tired in a day, but he's like... Finally, he pleads and he's allowed out and there's a story he's allowed out and say, okay, Allah, just turn me uh, outside. I won't ask for anything more. And he says, you promise? Yes, I promise. And so Allah said, okay, fine. And then after that, it carries on like that. And then he says, Ya Allah, can you just get me closer to paradise? He said, but you had made a promise. He said, yes, I know, but you know. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala laughs at this. So then he says, okay, fine, no more. And then again, after a while, he stays there and then he says, okay, can you just let me go inside? Right. So it's a long story. I'm not going to go into that. But mainly what happens when he goes inside, then Allah says that, okay, I'm going to give you. He says, start desiring. What do you want? So he starts desiring and he runs out of ideas. He says, desire some more. And then Allah reminds him of some more things. And then he says, I give you ten times the size of this world. I give you ten times the size of this world. That is for the last person out of hellfire. Last person. So in the whole world. Absolutely. In the entire human creation, the last person outside paradise, after which paradise will be, you know, lid will be born, whatever it is. This is, he gets ten times the size. So can you imagine the other people? And you might think, how do you have that much space? I mean, have you thought about the stars and the, the planets? You know, the sun is 93 million miles away. But it is, I, I don't know the number, how big, l much larger it is than this world. Then you've got the other planets, the other stars. I mean, what, what's going on? What is all that for? I don't know. Wallahu alam, right? Where is paradise? That's another question. The strongest opinion about where paradise is, is that paradise is above the seventh uh, heaven. Heaven means a layer of 
what we can maybe see I don't know right? where heaven actually starts Allah knows best uh, I mean heaven not as paradise because some people use the word heaven for paradise I'm using it for the word sama right Jannah is paradise right uh, sama is heaven some people use heaven for paradise as well because it's up there right but basically if you look around the heaven that surrounds the earth how big is that That's, I mean um, how much bigger is uh, the, the space from earth to the first heaven I mean if anybody who's done astronomy or physics will know that the stars right the celestial spheres that we have they're in between where the first heaven starts Allah knows best then there's supposed to be a second heaven then a third heaven now if you understand the heaven to be maybe even a circle a ball or something the first heaven the second one is going to be a bigger layer the third one is going to be a big an outer layer and they get just bigger and bigger and bigger now if you think about paradise being on the seventh heaven right and then it mentions that listen to this hadith of tirmidhi Ubadah ibn Samit relates that the Prophet said that in paradise there are a hundred degrees, hundred le levels, layers, right? Hundred floors, you can say. But they're not like small floors where you can touch the ceiling, where they have to make them efficient because, uh, you know, it's insulated and everything. They, they, you don't get that problem there, right? Ma bayna kulli kama bayna al-ardi wa sama. Between every two floors, every two stages, just like between the earth and the heavens. That's a hundred of them. Right? And then he said, وَالْفِرْدَوْسُ أَعْلَاهَا دَرَجَةً Firdaus is the highest level. وَمِنْهَا تَفَجَّرَ أَنْهَارُ الْجَنَّةِ الْأَرْبَعَةِ From there the four rivers of paradise erupt. وَمِنْ فَوْقِهَا يَكُونُ الْعَرْشِ And above that is the arsh. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, فَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُ اللَّهِ فَاسْأَلُوهُ الْفِرْدَوْسِ When you ask Allah, if you're asking anything of Allah, ask Him for the Firdaus, ask Him for the highest. Not just paradise, but Jannatul Firdaus. Now the other thing that you have to remember, there's another hadith which is clearer than this, that Jannatul Firdaus is, Jannatul Firdaus has the Arsh of Allah as its roof, or however you want to call it. Now how big is the Arsh of Allah? We get an understanding of this. There's another hadith that's related by Imam Ibn Jarir al-Tabari and Ibn Mardawi, I think. Where it says that the comparison to the kursi of Allah and the world is the world is just like a ring thrown into a vast desert. A vast desert is bigger than um, this city. One ring what's the equation you know one ring in that it's insignificant so i'm just trying to give a size uh, an idea of size if jannatul fird jannatul if the arsh of allah is that what vast the kursi is that vast and that forms the roof of jannatul firdaus and jannatul firdaus is just the top one can you imagine all the others <coughs> when the prophet ﷺ went on his ascension and he was shown paradise and hellfire but then he was he said he looked up and right at the top or, or very far away like stars he could see something like stars twinkling he said what is that he says that's your abode he was told that that is your paradise 
Can I see it? He says, no, you're not allowed to see that one until you depart from this world. So there's a lot of space out there. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of space out there. There's a lot of real estate, basically. Right? You don't have to worry about small, small places. There's a lot of real estate. So judging from the fact of the size of the Arsh of Allah and uh, the top paradise and then the last person out of hell getting turned. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, but this is, how do we even know this stuff? Well, that's the question, right? I don't want to go into that too much because that will go into the whole concept of belief in God and atheism and that's not our topic here. We don't want to spoil this topic. But basically, being believers, one of the most important features of belief is الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ It's in the beginning of the Quran. Those people who believe in the unseen. Without belief in the unseen, this deen is nothing. Unseen belief in the unseen because Allah, angels, and paradise, hellfire, all of these things are unseen. Hereafter is all unseen. If we don't believe in that, we don't get anywhere. That's a very important topic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains paradise. I'll give you a bit of a sneak preview then if you have any specific questions about um, whether paradise has bathrooms, right? Whether paradise, where do you get clothes in paradise? What kind of food is available in paradise? How do you warm your food up in paradise? These are all relevant questions, by the way. Right. Um, will you be able to meet people in paradise? Is there a market in paradise? These are all, all questions, by the way. Remember, it's going to be... Th there's a lot of studies going on right now where the, the owners, the, the founders of PayPal and all these wealthy people that have made billions, they've got a lot of money, right? What are they going to do with that money? A lot of them are actually putting their money in longe longev longevity studies. Huge amounts to try to find out if you can prolong life or if you can recreate it or refresh life or bring it back. That's why there's some people who are being put into these cryogenic coolers that maybe after two years, 200 years, if somebody comes up with a, um, a cure, then you can make them money. These guys are paying for it, and, but then they're going to be long gone. So I mean, it's a good business to be honest. Right, to set up these silos, right? Because people will pay you and then after that they can go they can go to hell wherever. It doesn't make a difference, right? Um, you're you're just gonna be paid. Um, so for anybody to even conceive, you see, they the the, the the question that the ethicist asks you is that if you did have life forever, how would that even feel? In this world where there's misery where you constantly have to achieve things. Imagine if you had to live forever. They say that actually death is a, is a relief that people don't realize. For us, for believers, تُحْفَةُ mu'mini al-maut. That if you really understand Allah and you really believe in the hereafter, then this world becomes pales, insignificant. Then death is a gift. You're not supposed to look for an early death because that's haram. So no suicide, right? Let me get that right. But we shouldn't be frightened of death either. We should embrace death because it's supposed to be, if we've been good people, alhamdulillah, that's why the Prophet said, dead bodies, people who've just died, hurry them up to their grave. If they're good people, then why you prevent them from going to their next abode of blessing? And if they're bad people, then why do you want to keep them around you? Right? So quickly go and bury them. Our entire deen is focused on the hereafter and we better get that right. Otherwise, if the Akhir does not feature in our worldview, in our lifestyle, 
then we're in for a rude shock. We better have Akhirah in our worldview. And believe me, once you have Akhirah in your worldview, life becomes easier to live because your greed subsides. Your desire is controlled. Right? You have a lot more reliance and tawakkul. You become a lot more generous because your greed and everything goes out of the window. It's an antidote to many problems. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the abrar, the righteous ones, they're going to be drinking from goblets, cups, vessels, which will have a mixture of camphor. Now, if anybody smelt camphor, it's not very pleasant as a drink, you would think. But this is something special that we can't even quote. Right. They will have lakes. So one of the things about paradise, let's understand what does what's the Arabic word for paradise? Jannah. Jannah. What does Jannah mean? It means a garden, that's it. Jannah just means a garden. It actually comes from the word uh, from Jim Noon. Jim Noon, the reason why a garden is called a garden or, or rather Jannah is called a Jannah is because it's covered with greenery. So Jannah means to cover something. That's why Jannah means somebody who's just had, uh, uh, who's just become um, insane. His mind is covered up. Jinn comes from the same root term, Jinn, because they're unseen to us, they're veiled from us. So Jannah is that which is veiled by greenery. So, are we talking about buildings or are we talking about nature here? Talking about more nature. There's going to be buildings, but they're going to be made of very special things. There will be buildings, but most of your lifestyle is going to be outside. You're not going to be holed up in a building. You won't want to be. You see, I read some time ago that Bill Gates, he bought an estate. And he had some neighbors. Now, the estate he bought must have been massive anyway. But because he wanted complete privacy, he also bought the estates around him. Just so that he's completely secluded. In paradise, Allah gives you that much because you're wondering what is one man going to do with ten, uh, ten times the size of this world? Well, you're going to need pe- you're going to need place because you're going to have so many wildan and mukhalladun. You're going to have so many male servants. You're going to have so many other. I mean, men are going to have. Uh, I mean, I'll come to that right now. I don't want to get to that yet. I know you guys are probably waiting for that, right? I'll get to that soon, right? Or maybe I'll wait for a question about that. I won't cover it. Right? Um, you're going to need space because you're there forever and there's a lot of space that you can go and enjoy yourself. The trees and... Basically, paradise is a jannah because that's what the word means. It's green. It's just, mashallah. And you can get it greener because Ibrahim told the Prophet to give us his salam and say that tell your ummah that paradise, the land you inherit. Because you know, the fact that you become a Muslim that you're la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, you get allotted a place there. Right. Automatic. Say la ilaha illallah, you get a place in paradise. But innaha qi'an, it is desolate right now. You have to, um, you have to inhabit it. It says every tasbih, every subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, grows you things in there. So you know our 33 tasbihs after the prayer, Right, and the times we make them, all of this is contributing. We're building it. But we just want to build it with purpose. We don't want it to be just automatically when we don't know what's going on. We're going to build it with purpose, we'll do a better job. 
So everybody has one. So it says, Tajri min anhar. Now this is very strange. This is going to be a garden under which rivers will flow. Now, how do you have rivers flowing under a garden? Can you see them? Can you not see them? That's the strange thing here. Right? That's the amazing thing here. Has anybody been to Spain? To Andalusia? To Granada? Right? Anybody been? You've been? Those gardens there, the, the, the Jannatul Arif, the gardens of, they're amazing. They still maintain them. And that's what the rulers there, I mean, unfortunately, they suffered badly afterwards, but that's what they tried to create a Jannah on this world, in this world. They've got the castles, the palaces, the forts, but then they've got, believe me, it's miles and miles of garden. It's amazing. The fountains, the greenery, the trees, you could, you could just spend time in there. These are gardens through which rivers will flow. Water for the human being is amazing, right? People get so excited about water. They say that um, one of the most efficient cures for depression is to just take a walk among the greenery. Can you believe it? It's simple cure. No tablets, nothing. Just go and take walks regularly. My theory is that because we're human beings and we're natural beings, and we're we're, we, we are basically uh, created to be part of the nature, We've imposed all of this brick and mortar and we've shut out everything and the best place Especially when you're in cold place is the most insulated place where no air comes in. So we basically insulate it completely Right, so we get we don't get that exposure. This is not natural stuff that we are uh, We are interacting with so we're out of our normal habitat That's just my theory. So I believe that based on the study which says that Walking among greenery, whatever, you know, removes your depression. I believe it's just because you're going back to your nature. And we're missing that. So we're sticking in homes and we have no time for these things. Mashallah, you've got a lot of greenery around here. Right? So it's something you should take benefit from. We just went to that hill, that park that you have. But there's, there's a lot of greenery here. Right? And you've got water as well. Where you have water, you generally have a lot of good ions in the air, right? So I don't know if you guys are healthier than England, but, you know, I guess with the diets and everything like that, McDonald's and everything like that, I don't know if it becomes all the same, right? But paradise is completely natural. The other thing in paradise is that there is no sickness, of course, no illness. You can eat as much as you want. That's when you can actually g have your cake and eat it as they say you can have whatever you want to eat you can desire whatever you want the tree branch will come down to you and you can take that fruit it will taste different in every taste that you take and you can keep eating it says that if you want to eat meat you will see a bird oh that's a nice one it will come down it will roast it it will be prepared for you and you will eat it and then it will just reassemble itself and go back Ibn al-Qayyim here raises a question we're in paradise to roast food for it to be cooked because humans eat cooked food generally, right? How is it going to be cooked? There's no fire in paradise, right? This is a very interesting question which I don't think should arise today. 
but this is about seven, eight centuries ago. And he's asking this question. And then he mentions about two or three different opinions of what ulama proposed as possible solutions to this problem. So some people say, oh, this is going to be, this will be taken outside of paradise to be cooked and be brought back in. Right, sounds far-fetched. It'll be taken to hellfire to be cooked. I don't want food like that. <laughs> now what Ibn al-Qayyim says, now look at this, what Ibn, for us it's so easy to understand this, right? Because we have, do you guys even have gas in this country? What do you guys cook on, electric or gas? Electric. electric, you don't even have gas, you don't even have fire anymore, right? So you see, that's so easy for us to understand now. You have induction ovens where you touch it, it's not even hot. Induction cookers, when you put the pot on, it gets hot. You have microwaves, you have halogen cooking, you have these actifriers, I mean, you, you have so many ways Allah has shown us. But Ibn al-Qayyim says something very interesting then. He says, and let me tell you something else first before I mention that. Because he says that, you see, in paradise, you eat as much as you want. Then aren't you going to get sick? No. Our stomach, now remember, everybody in paradise, regardless of when you died, what age you were when you died, you'll be resurrected. When you enter paradise, you'll be about 33 years of age. Which is kind of like your prime youth age. Both men and women will be 33 years of age and that's what you're going to stay. About 33 years of age. If you eat, right, you're going to get fat, uh, you know, is, what's going to happen? The whole stomach, remember this is a new body you're going to get there. Right? Made from your original DNA, whatever, but it's going to be a new body. And the stomach will no longer have your intestines and all the rest of it. It'll be a whole new, it'll be kitted out with a whole new system. That system will take your food inside, process it, and th throw it out as, as perfume, musk. It's a new system, nobody's discovered it yet. To refit the human being, so that the food that's processed doesn't come out as stool and defecation, but comes out as perspiration of musk. Amazing. So there is, none, there is none of that in paradise. There's no going to the toilet in paradise. I, I used to always wonder. So it's just kitting out the, the system differently. Allah created us this way, He can create us differently. That's what it is. So then Ibn al-Qayyim uses that. He says that that God that is going to reformulate the human being to process his food in that way. In fact, there's going to be maybe some burps that are musk. Right? Not, not bad burps that you hear in Taraweeh that people do. Right? But you know... The, um, he says that God who's done that, then he's going to be able to have the food produced for you without fire. Why does he need fire for? And today the world, we sh we Allah has shown it, shown it to us in this world, that the whole of Sweden cooks without gas, I'm assuming. Right? Because I know Norway does that, it's all electric. In England we have both. Right? We have gas, we have electric. So you actually see the flame. I don't know, some people believe that food tastes better. I don't know how, but they, they feel it. I mean, if you're cooking on the flame, a barbecue, that's understandable. But if it's just warming up the pot, then your food is being cooked inside the pot, so I don't know what difference it will make, to be honest. How, how that pot is being heated. Do you see what I'm saying? People have these ideas. The food, whatever you want to have. The, the drink. They will, once a week now, once a week, you know, you'll have your spouses. Once a week, everybody will go to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a market that takes place, a souk. 
a, you can say a fair, a gathering. Before you get to that gathering, there will be a dust storm, which we can call a dust storm here, but it will be a musk storm. So you will become fragranced. When you get to this gathering, you can see, because what it says is that, you know, after you've got all of these things in paradise, it's going to be mentioned that Allah will, uh, uh, Allah will address the people of paradise and say, are you all happy? So they will all say, of course, why not? You've given us all of these things where, of course, we're happy. Why shouldn't we be happy? So then Allah says, well, I'm going to give you something else. I am now going to tell you that I am now satisfied with you and I will never be upset with you again. Basically, you're my guest now. That's it. Because nobody goes into paradise by mistake. So when he says you're satisfied, they are going to get even more excited. Because have you guys ever gone to like a really nice hotel, uh, uh, holiday resort? Right? Who's been to a holiday resort that they can remember? Honeymoon, whatever. How many days did you go for? Maybe one week. Okay, one week. Say two weeks. But you know that that two weeks are going to end, right? One day left, two days left, one day left, and then you're gone. And then it's all back to the same old thing, right? But when you're told in paradise that I'm now satisfied with you, this is yours forever. And you've got so many things to still check out. Right? That's going to give them even more satisfaction. We can't even understand these things in this world, to be honest. Because even a nice place, you get tired of it eventually. I went to the Maldives. right? Not to a resort. I was just going to Sri Lanka, so I stopped over. It's a beautiful place. But I'm sure after a few days, you know. Like, okay, you know. That's the world. You just... Doesn't, it can't give you the same, same stimulus. It runs out. So, then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, <clears throat> when He manifests Himself and people will see Allah, they will not have been given anything more pleasurable than their sighting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's going to be the ultimate. The beatific vision. We, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us this. That's going to be the ultimate for them. So every week you go to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's your treat. When you come back from it, your spouse, is, the wife is going to say to the husband, the husband, hey, you've just come back more beautiful. So now you're not going to get tired of the same person. Your spouse is going to increase in beauty all the time. Because you're probably wondering right, you know, if somebody thought about that, that, okay, that's going to get old. No, you're going to improve in that as well. And Allah has limitless ability. It's not even something you can th keep thinking about. I mean, you know, every week have a new, mashallah. How much more better can it be when you're already going to be so beautiful? I mean, you've heard the descriptions of the hoors of paradise. Right? I mean, men generally like to listen to that description. Right? But it says that the women of the world, who will be the primary wives of the men, will be more beautiful than any of the Hurulain. What kind of beauty are we talking about? Unfathomable. You just can't even think about this. Such beauty that you just keep staring forever. There's a number of versions that says that your paradise will have one win oh, uh, four entrances. One of them is to... Uh, one of them is where your gifts are brought, your awards are brought to you. Another one is where, I think your family etc can visit there's another one that is open to your place in hellfire so by looking at hellfire it's like alhamdulillah i'm not there that just adds to the whole psychological experience remember a lot of this is not just material objects a lot of it is psychological 
You have to remember that. Because the way humans work, depending on how you approach something, when you've got a longing for something, people, uh, lots of people go for Hajj. But every single person will have a different experience, depending on their love, their longing. Everybody's going to have a different story. Allah can increase that for you. They say that wealthy people will go into paradise later than poor people. Poor people will get in quickly. Do you know why? Well, it's quite simple because they don't have too much, too many tax returns to, fi- uh, to, f- uh, to, 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 uh, to fill in and to... Exactly. Even in this world, I mean, the more you own and the more ventures you have, the more tax you have to fill in. And if you're poor, you're just like, don't care about it. So they'll get into paradise quicker, but don't think that rich people are going to be left behind if they've done good with their wealth. While you may take it, it may take you longer to get into paradise. When you get into paradise, you'll have a higher level because based on the sadaqah you've done. So paradise is levels, remember? And you know these hundred levels that I spoke about? Those are hundred levels just for the mujahideen. There's a hadith that says that the hundred levels are only for the mujahideen. For everybody else, there's even other layers. So we haven't even started describing the the paradise here. Will you have children in paradise? There will be children, but you won't have any children. People won't have children. Because that, 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 there won't be any children. That, that was a fair question. Because somebody asked, a farmer came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, will there be farming in paradise? Because for him, that's like amazing. Like you can do a good farm, right? And produce a lot of good crops. That, that's like for him, subhanAllah, right? So he says, yes, but you're just going to desire it and all of it will just happen in an instance. Why do you want to work in the land for? Right? It's just all going to happen in an instance. So there, there are questions about children, but they say the strongest opinion is that there will be no, you won't, you won't ha- there's no system of having children in paradise. Women will not bear children. We, we don't want to speak about hellfire, but as good as this is, that's as bad as it is. As bad as this is good, then that, that's what hellfire is. We are going to start a series after Ramadan on covering the, this, the, the whole details of hellfire, just like we've covered paradise. Because I think it's only fair. Because that understanding hellfire gets us to paradise. Otherwise, as Jibreel, his review tells us that we're probably going to end up in hellfire otherwise. Right? So, the people who are given paradise are the people who are the righteous ones, who've made sacrifices in this world, who've had a focus on the akhirah, whose every decision was based on how it's going to impact them in the hereafter. Those people who were willing to give sacrifices of this world because the Prophet ﷺ said that the world is a prison for a believer and a paradise for a non-believer. What does that mean? Prison for a believer because a prison, it doesn't mean you're locked up. It means that you're restricted. So don't Muslims have restrictions in this world that you can't go and have a burger from McDonald's even though everybody else wants to have one? Like your people are going to go out for drinking. You're not allowed to go. People are going to be dating. They're going to go to their proms or whatever it is. We're not allowed to do that. We have to go and pray. We have to fast. Restrictions. That's what it is. World is a re- place of restrictions for believers. 
And for people who don't have any restrictions, who believe there's no God, who believe that it doesn't matter, there's no rules, there's no Lord, you just live once, right? You only live once, then it's a paradise for them from their in, in their perspective. Real paradise is from in the hereafter. In the Quran, Muttaki'ina ala furushin bata'inuha min istabrak. The people in paradise, they will be reclining on beds or platforms or thrones whose lining is made up of silk brocade. The lining. So we've got this pillow here, right? Well, actually, that's a nicer pillow, that one, right? And you've got these carpets. Allah is so eloquent. He uses the description of the lining. Do you see the lining? The lining of my... It's something inside. The lining is inside. You don't see it. But on good products, even li the lining is being paid attention to. Like, you know, on designer products, even the lining is being paid attention to. So if he's describing the lining is like that, can you imagine the surface? So he's saying here that they will be reclining on beds whose linings are made up of silk brocade. Then imagine what they'll actually be sitting on. This just goes to show you the, the, the detail. It says that um, some friends will get together and they'll start thinking about stuff. He says, you know that there was that beautiful voice. So suddenly the trees, the branches, the huge trees and the branches, they will start making movements. They will start rustling, but they will start producing a music. And it will be better than, they say, it will be better than any music that they've ever heard in the world. Because this is specially synthesized by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the angels will start to sing, to read. And that will be even better than this. And when they hear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala read, that would be amazing. These things are, I don't know, there's no way to explain them in their full glory. You know, you just have to think about them because... We're using human words to explain something that is beyond this world. I'll give you an example. When the Prophet ﷺ went on his ascension in Sahih Muslim, Sahih Bukhari, etc. In Sahih Muslim, there's a hadith which says that when the Prophet ﷺ ascended, remember he went on his ascension to the seventh heaven. So he says they got to the Sidratul Muntaha, which is the lot tree, which is there on the seventh heaven. He said, suddenly, I suddenly saw all of these winged creation. It was almost like a, I mean, the way he was explaining it was like a display. Like, you know, a, a show is put on for you, you know, outside, like a firework display. He, he says that no human words can describe this. He says that. He says no human words can describe the beauty of this. Whether those were angels or what, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Right? That's amazing, right? He says no humans can describe that. That tells you that all of this that we're hearing, because the Prophet summed it up. He said, paradise... It's a place that you've never, your eyes have never seen the like of. Forget your eyes. Your ear has never heard a description like it. And, okay, forget description. Your heart can never conceive of such a thing. Because just to conceive of permanence, conceive of something that can change its flavor each time, conceive of infinitely becoming more beautiful. How can you even understand that in this in our constrained world that we relate to in a different way. The final point before I open it up, I want to make is this.
which I think is the most important point. Who are you going to be with in paradise from all of your family? Hmm? Yeah, let's say the spouse, because men will have their wife, husbands will have, uh, wives will have husbands, right? With your spouse. You're not going to be with your father, or your brother, or your sister, or your mother, or your children. They're going to have their own life. Of course, you can visit and so on. But at the end of the day, once you go there, if everybody's going to be with their father, then we're all going to be with Adam alayhi salam. It's going to be like on one big happy family, right? <laughs> Which, it, when, I mean, eventually it is a big happy family, right? But uh, the main thing is that you're going to be with your spouse. You're going to be with your spouse. Even though your spouse is not even related to you sometimes. It's somebody who's maybe from another family, not even cousins, right? In most men cases, <laughs> right? But you're going to be together. Now can you imagine the dilemma of somebody? I got a call just, uh, just before Ramadan. There's a guy, he's about maybe 57, 58, maybe nearly 60 years old. He's got children who are married, who some of them live with him. And he's quite sick as well. And him and his wife can't get along to such a degree that they can't even see each other. Can't even make salam. They hate each other. So I said, okay, then... He says, but I can't divorce her either. Why? Because there's no point because she's got nowhere else to go. I'm not going to be able to get married again with my health conditions. And we both need our children to look after us. It's like, wow, what a miserable state. Right? So the reason why I was asking the question, because it was basically, there was no way out of it. Because I mean, everything I suggest is like, no, but I can't do that. I can't do that. It was like checkmate, checkmate, checkmate. Right? So... His main question is a religious person. His main question is Ramadan is coming. I want to be forgiven. But I've got a broken relationship with somebody who's so close and that's haram. That's wrong. So how do I rectify this? Is my, are my du'as going to be accepted? So I told him, look, the minimum you have to do, because he says, although we live in different rooms and everything, but sometimes, you know, in the passage we see each other. I said, you have to make salam. She doesn't like you. I said, well, that's her problem. Your responsibility is to make salam. If she doesn't give you an answer, that's her problem. She'll be sinful for that. Right? But you, at the minimum you have to do with people who you can't break ties, ties with, you don't have to go and sit with and have long meals with them. You don't have to go and sit and chat with them. You just have to say salam. Just that's it. You know, that much at least. So I'm wondering that what do you think is going to become of their state in paradise? If you're going to be with your spouse in paradise, what's going to happen with them? What do you think? That's a test case. Do you think they're going to both be together and hate each other? Do you think they're going to be both together and love each other? Do you think they're not even going to go paradise? I mean, at least initially. They eventually have to, they believe us. Yeah. There's another thing I forgot to tell you. Before you go into paradise, there's extractors there. Right? You have to go through them. And they pull and suck out from you all your jealousy and all your hatred and everything else. You can't go into paradise and be jealous. So it's like, almost like, um, what do you call those guys, those, um, you know those uh, Captain America and those guys where they, uh, whatever they're called, right? They, um, superheroes, where they actually, but that, that's what a lot, lot of people relate to today. Like superheroes, everybody's on about superheroes. So basically, you're going to be detoxified from all of these things. So my assumption is that as long as they stay husband and wife, that bond is so important that 
in paradise they'll probably be l laughing about what how foolish they were in the world how silly they were wallahu alam but i can't see any other any other reason if they both get to paradise they're going to have to be together okay so that i end it there we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take us with our spouses into paradise but as i mentioned you don't you can't just get into paradise there's an effort right there's an effort that has to be made and you um, there's a person a sahabi he did something a favor for the prophet he did some work for him so the prophet said to him um, wish for, uh, you know ask for something i'll give it to you so you know what he asked for as'aluka murafaqataka fil jannah I want your companionship in paradise. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Something else. Like something else I can give you, but you know that, that's, that's not easy. He said, no, that's what I want. He says, okay, then help me by doing a lot of sujood, by doing a lot of prayer. So paradise is an effort. Now look, eventually, as long as we're believers, we'll all get into paradise. This is what my wife told me a few years ago. Right? It was some time and she started doing some new worship. Not new, new worship, but she started doing some ibadah. And I said, what's going on? How come? She says, well, I've been thinking that as believers, inshallah, we'll get into paradise. If Allah maintains our faith, we ask Him for that. We'll get into paradise. But it's just like, we'll get into Norway. We'll get into Sweden. Like, you know. But we're in paradise. For that, you have to do work. Because then, I mean, there's so many things I haven't been able to say. There's the 70,000 people that are going to go into paradise without even questioning now, when you are competing with people like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, right, Omar radiallahu and then go a bit down to Ghazali, Jilani and those people, I mean, what, 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 what scope do we have of, among the 70,000 if we're competing with those people? And those 70 people, when they go into paradise, that first group, they will all go together. They're not going to go in a line. The door of paradise is massive. Allah makes seven doors for hellfire but he makes eight doors for paradise why eight that's going against the normal tradition of seven 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 sama a seven sabah the 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 the, natu the nature of the world is seven seven days of the week and everything is seven sevens right so anyway here he makes eight doors of paradise just to give an indication that i want to express my mercy to you i've i've even given an extra door to paradise and each of those doors are so wide that those 70,000 people will be able to go in at once and there won't be any jostling. That's how Allah has prepared. He is when He makes it as the host for us as guests, He's going to give us the full service. But we ask Allah to allow us to be in that service, inshallah. Okay, I'll open it up to questions, inshallah. Y you can ask any question you want about paradise, okay? And if I don't know, I'll tell you because I'm exploring myself still. Yes, brother. But this is not just about being perfect and polished, right? I, I, I've thought about that. It's different every time your experience with it. It's the same if it's the same old. No, I'm not talking yeah. about life. No, no, any, no I'm, yeah, I'm talking about anything. Yeah. You'll get sick because you're seeing the same old. You have to upgrade because that's the way our psyche works in this world. But in the hereafter, everything is going to just improve its, in its embellishment. It's only going to become better. So it's new. It's going to seem new. So it, it's not the same old. Your experience with it will always be different. 
And beyond that I can't even explain because it's something that we've never experienced So I can't even explain beyond that, but I believe in it Right, there's only a certain level you can explain it because if it's something out of our realm of experience It's very difficult to even understand that I mean, don't some people love their job because of the new challenges that it provides every day? I love my job because of the new challenges that it provides every day. Though it's the same old, same old people, but there's a new challenge every day. When you enjoy something, you enjoy... I, 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 I just gave that as an example to say that you can still enjoy something. For example, I've been married 20 years, but I enjoy my wife as... You know, as it was 20 years ago. And I think if you've had a successful marriage, that just tells you that that's one way to understand how you could be forever with somebody. Right? Uh, and again, beyond that, I think it's going to be difficult because I, I, I don't know how else to explain it after that. If anybody else has got an, another example, <coughs> I would be happy to hear that because it's difficult. It's an experience that we've, nobody's ever had. Right? An experience of permanence. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I guess your question maybe is assuming also that it's the same old stuff you're going to see every day, just polished. But that's not the case. When you've got ten times the amount of this world, uh, how long is that going to take you, right? And then with it changing all the time as well. So, Allahu uh, Alaihi So what I mean is, if you're not into materialism... Oh, there you're going to be into materialism. Okay. You're not supposed... <laughs> that's the reward for not being in materialism here. That's why I, the example, right, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was given, he called for some water. He was given water that was sweetened with something. And he refused to drink it. He started crying. He said that because they, they really understood that after and they knew that every sacrifice they make here, that is going to magnify for them the reward in the hereafter. He says, I don't want the reward of this. In, I, I don't, I don't want to indulge in this world. Umar radiallahu anhu had patches on his clothing when he entered Jerusalem as a victor. He could have had the best clothing. In fact, the Sahaba used the, the, the Tabi'in, the people after him, they would insist that you're a leader. People come to visit you. Delegations come. Why are you eating this rough food? We can produce some of the finest foods. And then one day he says to them, he says, do you think I don't know what good food is? And he mentioned to them a number of good foods. He says, but this is not how the Prophet did. In fact, they had to send, like, how can we tell him to change his clothes? To, you know, these dignified clothes. They said, let's talk to his daughter and Aisha radiallahu because they were wives of Rasulullah and they might listen to him. He might listen to them. They both went to him to give him a special petition that, you know, this is our request. And he started crying. And he said, I can't believe that you've come to tell me this. He said, the pro you know, he says, you are wives of the Prophet sallallahu Look how he was. He had millions coming through him. But he still refused to eat cooked food every day and he would survive on dates and water for days on end so that even the poorest person in Medina Munawara could relate to him and say, my Prophet has as much as I have, if not less. These people did it out of choice because they knew paradise was greater. And this world is not worth indulging in. That's so difficult. I wish I could make this a reality even for myself because I'm indulgent. You know, you like to have your nice clothes and there's nothing wrong with that. As well, it's halal. That's the thing. As long as it's for a reason. But when you go over, when you have to get that next phone because it's a status symbol, that's definitely a problem. That's israf. And then it goes beyond that, and you become brothers of the shaitan as mubadzirina kanu ikhwan shayatin people who squander money. Uh, do we all get to meet the Prophet and 
since we'll be in a lower jannah to him, can we go and visit him? I'm sure that should be the case. You can visit people, right? You can visit people and uh, there's a uh, very interesting something that's related. There's a person in paradise. Now, this is talking in retrospect. He's not in paradise yet, but the Prophet ﷺ is explaining that there's a person in paradise. Suddenly, the angels come to him and saying, hey, you're getting an upgrade. You were in coach class and the person comes in and says, uh, Mr. So-and-so, can you please come this way? And he's like, oh no, where is he taking me? We're going to put you in business class. Like, how do you feel? Right? You're going to feel really good. So he says, why? He says, oh, because one of your relatives, descendants, just did some prayer for you. Now, as I told you, this isn't going to be after the fact. This is all just being mentioned that this is all happening based on who we leave behind because of the effect of who we've left behind. The best sadaqah you can leave behind you is perpetual charity in the form of children who pray for you or some knowledge a madrasa or some other knowledge that you leave behind for people to benefit from in the form of books or lectures or whatever it is or teaching right or maybe a, uh, some other uh, lake or river or some water source that you so as long as that will remain you get the reward for it so there's ways to get upgrades as well but yes you can visit people nobody's going to be out of bound that's why there's one scholar he said that I'm so amazed by Aisha radiallahu anha that if there's somebody in paradise that I'd love to meet and speak to will be Aisha radiallahu anha. And I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to wonder, I want to, I want to watch the battle of Badr. You know, I want to watch the battle of Uhud. I want to see what happened. I want to see how the Prophet... Wallahu anha, maybe you can choose movies down there to watch in real life. Wallahu anha, I mean, if you can get whatever you want, I'm assuming that's a reality. Yes, brother. Well, I guess if the Prophet ﷺ is in the highest place in Jannah, then maybe you'll get closer to Jannatul Firdaus. Is it above Jannatul They say that, yeah, they say that the higher you get, I mean, in any building, as well, the penthouse is at the top, right? So if Jannatul Firdaus has its roof as the throne of Allah, then you can imagine that the higher you get, the better Jannah you get to. In fact, some have described paradise. Have you seen those... Have you seen those pictures of those Chinese or Thai, Thailand um, paddy fields going down, um, you know, those step-by-step step going up a hill or down a hill, right? Basically tapered going down. It, some people have described it like that, that the higher you get, the higher the paradise is, the more exclusive it is. I think I, you're going to, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where you're going to meet him, but I think, you know, that weekly meeting, yeah. that's where you get to visit other, other people and other prophets. The Allah will facilitate. Yeah. I mean, if you say, I want to be with the Prophet Sallallahu forever. I mean, you know, when you say you're going to get everything you want in paradise, what about this question? I just want to be with the Prophet Sallallahu now. I guess there's going to be some kind of restrictions, but you'll be satisfied with them. Because the other question that arises is that the person in the higher, pro, higher paradise than you, Aren't you going to feel, they say that there is going to be this level that if I had done this much more, I could have been there. But you're still going to be very satisfied with what you have. I can't even explain the relationship between. What's your second question? You see, um, I, I, in Sahih Muslim, um, it says 70,000. 
There's another version of the hadith which is not in Sahih Muslim. It's a, maybe not as strong a narration as the Sahih Muslim one. It says that with every 70,000, there's going to be 70,000. So 70,000 times 70,000, we did the sum. It's 49 billion or something like that, right? That just suddenly gives you greater hope if that hadith is correct, right? So <laughs> I think, you know what? I don't think we can compete with the prophets or with the Sahaba. And there were about 120,000 Sahaba. So if the Sahaba are in there already, forget it, right? We're lost. <laughs> All I can say is that Allah will give you according to your niyyah and your effort. So just focus on that. Don't get put off that, oh, prophets. Because prophets were 124,000 approximately according to a hadith of Ibn, Imam Ahmad anyway. So they, they've got a special route anyway. Right. Any desire that you have in paradise is going to be fulfilled. Even if you want to farm, Whatever you have desire, of course, all your desires are going to be righteous desires. Right? They're going to be right. You're not going to ask for anything that is none, not fitra. Right? Because there's some people who ask that question. If I want to do something. That kind of person isn't going to enter paradise who's got none fitri, none natural kind of tendencies anyway. So yes, you can get anything you want in paradise. It says, Kullu mashtahat anfusukum. Everything your heart desires. Uh, just let me answer this question. If you had a miscarriage, will that baby drag you to, jahan, uh, to Jannah? That is the hadith. That, uh, the, the Prophet said if you had three miscarriages, then they'll drag you to Jannah. Uh, somebody asked two, somebody asked one. So that is a sense of... But you can't guarantee that. that you, okay, I've had a miscarriage. So now I've got my guarantee. I've got my ticket to Jannah. She's gonna, that this miscarriage is going to take me now. So I'm going to go and really indulge in the world. Remember, there's always variables. There's always going to be variables. There's conditions under which this happens, as with all of these other things. Even being with righteous people, wanting to be with them, obviously you must have tried your best. Because there's nothing that guarantees you, except the kalima, that eventually you'll get to paradise. Because it's all up to the mercy of Allah, whether He even accepts our deeds or not. Inshallah He will. So yes, miscarriages are, mashallah, a wonderful way to get you to paradise. It's like a fast-track service. Everybody will go to paradise. The only thing now is that the children of believers and the children of disbelievers, because they're, they're not responsible yet. So there's several opinions about them, but the strongest opinion is that the children of believers will also enter paradise. And children of disbelievers, and children of disbelievers there's also an opinion, which is a strong one, that they will also enter paradise. Other opinions say that they will be the servants. Some say they will remain on the araf between paradise and hellfire. Some say that they'll just be turned to dust. So there's various opinions. We, we can't be 100% sure, but what the strongest opinion seems like is that, inshallah, they will all go to paradise because they were not accountable to start with anyway. In this world, we have soul and body. But the body is primary, the soul is secondary. So we still have it. Soul feels things, but the body is primary. In the barzakh, between, uh, between this world and the hereafter, when we die, the soul becomes primary and the body becomes secondary. That's why even if you've been, somebody's been consumed by an animal, you still feel the, the grave. Uh, even if you're not in the grave, you still feel the barza. It's not the grave, it's the barza. Generally, people are in the grave. So the soul is primary. In paradise and hell, 
both body and soul will be primary. That's why you're going to be able to experience the full pleasure or the full punishment.